Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a blustery Monday evening here in Minnesota. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. Producer Dave is going to be joining me here in a minute. We are going to be talking Vikings second-round picks. The steal of the draft, Andrew Booth Jr. and Ed Agram, the guard from LSU. We're going to be diving into that, potentially also talking about the fact the Vikings are involved in a doubleheader on Monday night when they travel in Week 2 to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Strap in. We're going to have some fun here tonight on The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. Boom! Welcome, everybody, to The Real Forno Show. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, with me, producer Dave. Here, uh, we're we are gonna get we're gonna get this right this time, and I still use the wrong finger. Wow, <laughs> uh, I'm eventually gonna point to you uh, correctly, Dave. Uh, Viking Drome, welcome to the chat. Uh, it is a Skull Monday. We are here to turn your Monday purple. And Dave, we are gonna continue talking about the NFL draft because uh, we are gonna give in depth breakdowns of these players better than just about anybody else. And I know you are excited tonight, Dave. Oh, yes, I am. A big rum belly. (laughs) Yes, uh, very well. But, hey, how are you doing, my friend? It it was a nice, relaxing weekend for me. I hope you got to do the same. No, I was having fun. Uh, As I showed you in the preview, uh, (laughs) I worked on uh, Roll-In for Two Old Bloggers. We had a Two Old Bloggers show on Saturday, which went extremely well. We will continue this next Saturday on those lines. So, it was it was a good weekend. I got to play. I got to create. Hey, I even downloaded and created a whole bunch of pictures for this show. Why? Because I love big round bellies. Yes, you do. And uh, Nick, I'm sorry that you had such an awful Monday, but we are here to try and turn that around because we're going to be talking the future of the Minnesota Vikings in Andrew Booth Jr. and Ed Ingram, the two second-round picks that the Vikings maneuvered throughout the draft in order to get uh, what was really interesting about the Vikings' first six, seven selections were picks that they did not have going into the draft. They acquired all of those picks during the course of the draft, and that honestly is what's incredibly fascinating because Quasey, and you'll be able to read this article here um, coming up soon that I have coming out for uh, a publication called Let's Play Football. He decided to just become the evolved form of Rick Spielman. He was more than happy to trade and maximize capital and try and get volume. But instead, one one thing Rick Spielman never did was be aggressive early and then also continue to trade back throughout the entirety of the draft. He never did both together. It was one or the other. And you might argue that he did when he traded up for Teddy Bridgewater. But he he didn't spend the entirety of the rest of the draft trying to trade back and accumulate picks. My point is he did one or the other. He never did both together. And that's what Quasey did here. He did both. He traded back to accumulate picks, and then he got aggressive to go get the guys he wanted. And went back up. And, yep. Yep. I mean, with both Andrew Booth Jr. and a Caleb Evans, what what I found really interesting is that they were both corners. He traded up for cornerbacks. Almost like the ghost of Mike Zimmer was controlling Quasey 
like like Plankton and SpongeBob controlling a robot. Like, it was it was pretty fascinating the fact that Brick Spielman's gone and we're spending uh, two of our first five picks on corner, three of our first five in the secondary, which would make Mike Zimmer inherently excited. But we're not going to talk about Rick and Mike here for very long, but it is something interesting that I thought should be mentioned. Um, at the, honestly, Andrew Booth Jr., I was very impressed. If you read my piece about him for the Vikings Wire, then you know exactly how impressed I was. Dave, uh, why don't you uh, tell me your initial thoughts of Andrew Booth Jr.? My initial thoughts is he's one of the best corners in the draft. I thought out of the top two, right, if you go into that second tier below them, he was in that tier. Now, my impressions are that we learned after the fact he had been injured since like junior high or whatever it is. He's had core surgery for a sports hernia, which is the most common surgery in sports. It's it's not a big deal, but he had it same injury as Darisaw. Hopefully, um, I think he's already had the cleanup surgery. You have the initial surgery, then you have a cleanup surgery, and that he'll be perfectly healthy when it comes to come rolling into the season. I think he already mm-hmm. is, but he will be if he's not. And if he's that good playing hurt, I can't imagine what he's going to be like when it comes to playing healthy. And the dude is already lightning fast. So to me, this rings loudly of probably steal of the draft. And we haven't said that in a while, but I think Booth, has the potential to be a premier starting corner in this league for a long time. And I mm-hmm. hope the injury bug goes away and he's golden. We will find out, though. My question leading into the show, along with my boy Ed Ingram, is are we expecting these guys to start Here, you know, here's the interesting thing. I don't think they have to, but I think they will end up starting. And the reason being, like Cam Dantzler has played in a very serviceable role for the Vikings. Patrick Peterson has done the same. Neither one of them have been outwardly great to the point where like, oh, they're entrenched as the guy. Andrew Booth Jr. with a really good camp can come in and take one of those starting spots. And I don't think, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I think with Andrew Booth Jr.'s athleticism, his vision, and just his ability to be really quick and fluid with his movements and his aggressive nature, and that's going to be a theme we're going to see throughout the entirety of this draft, I think that he could start day one. Ed Ingram is in a very similar spot as well. There's a little more competition for him. You have Oliudo, Wyatt Davis, Jesse Davis, um, Chris Reed. There's a lot of guys who want that spot. Ingram is a different type of player than those guys. Jesse Davis, I've talked about before, is an orange traffic cone. He's not very good. Um, Wyatt Davis, we know that there were issues. There was the injury, the weight concerns, and then there was some other stuff that was alluded to me that I don't know what it is, but apparently it was bad enough where it kept him off the field. Chris Reed potentially could be working out at center. There's been some conflicting reports 
it, um, from both uh, Darren Doogie Wolfson, friend of the show, Chad Graff, also a friend of the show. Both of those guys are hearing different things. Um, we're, we've been told that Garrett Bradbury is going to have no competition. We're, we're also being told that Chris Reed has been, uh, it's been basically told to him that he's going to be able to compete for that starting job. We'll see when Cam shows up. The more competition, the better. Every spot should have competition. Even quarterbacks should technically have competition, even if you have an entrenched starter. Why? Competition breeds success, and it, it tries to eliminate complacency. So if you go tell Kellamon, hey, you're going to get a shot at the starting job, he's probably not going to ever win it, at least at this point. But if he goes out and he balls out during camp, and then Kirk Cousins steps up his game because he's like, oh, crap. This guy's playing way better than me. Maybe that there's like the sliver of an outside chance, and then Cousins uh, puts his foot on the gas, and boom, you're fine. Like competition breeds success, and it's a good thing. Now, will that competition breed long-term success? Will it breed competent play? I don't know that answer yet. But having a bunch of guys who are capable of starting, competing for that role, is something that I am a very big fan of. I agree. And competition will hone their skills and it pushes them. And when it pushes them, they get better. It's not the same old, same old. It's like, I got to beat the guy, you know, competing for my job. So I'm going to do my hardest. And that shows up on Sundays. We want that. Yes, it definitely shows up on Sundays. Now let's Let's get to the fun stuff. Andrew Booth Jr. And if you read my piece for the Vikings wire that dropped late last week, you know that I am a big fan. And the only reason that he dropped, in my personal opinion, no athletic testing. The way this guy plays on the field with that sports hernia injury is insanity. He is able to explode forward. He has great ball skills. He is really good vision. His hips are very fluid. Yeah, he can play in a half turn. He can play true press, man. He, he loves, they love to use him in a bailout facet at Clemson, playing a lot of cover three. So he is used to playing a lot of different coverages. What really impressed me was pairing that athleticism with his tackling. When he sees that it's run, it looks like he's being shot out of a cannon. And then he just goes and attacks in the gap. Now, that was something that we talked about with Lewis Seen last week. Because when Seen saw that there, there was a guy about to come through the hole, he would see it and then just explode right through and take out the runner in the hole. Andrew Booth Jr. has the ability to do that as well. One thing that really impressed me, Dave, when watching his film, there was a rep uh, against Virginia. Where quarterback Brennan Armstrong ends up scrambling. And he's, he's going, it looks like a sweet play almost. He, he runs out to the right, and then Booth is on a, uh, has a wide receiver blocking him on the outside. And what Booth does, he stays on the outside, almost like setting the edge like a defensive end. And because he sets the edge, Brennan Armstrong has to kick back inside. He sheds the block, takes him down, makes the tackle in a much easier facet. Plus, if he misses it, he's got help coming from the backside. So, Adding all those factors together, not only is he playing with intelligence, he's able to physically take care of the ball carrier in space, both of which are fantastic elements. Do you need to be able to do what he did and set the edge on the outside? Not necessarily, because if you play enough inside, 
you could potentially push him out of bounds because you have a friend with the sideline. But the ability to do that and still be able to make the tackle by shedding the block is something that I love seeing from my cornerbacks. And you know what it reminded me of? Antoine Winfield Sr., the aggressiveness, the willingness to get dirty in the run game, shoot the gap, and take out the ball carrier. It was too reminiscent for me, except Andrew Booth is, you know, much bigger. That was about the only main difference. Um, I was very impressed with that. And um, the fact that he related it all to Antoine Winfield means he's a special type player. Yep. And uh, now, corners, especially in the 3 4, do have the primary contain responsibility belongs to the edge, right? They're mm-hmm. to contain. If they can't contain, they're to push the play out towards the sideline. At that point, the corner is supposed to come up and be contained. And it's either at that point, the edge. He turns back into the edge, or the player goes into the corner, plays over. That's the primary responsibility of that style of defense. So if he can play that and he's not afraid to take on a whole sweeping motion to the outside, whether it be planned or whether it be impromptu by the quarterback, that's a good thing because the defensive end, back in the day, edge, works in parallel with the corner. That's where they're sort of uh, telepathically hitched, you know, that, hey, I'm pushing this dude out. You come get him. Or the other guy comes up. I'm pushing him inside. He's all yours. You know, that sort of thing. That's what we want to see on Sundays. And if if we can do that, and if he's on the side with Daniil Hunter or Zadarius Smith, I want to see that work. I want to see that with the other corners, whether it be Patrick Peterson or Tiny Dantzler. I want to see that sort of symbiotic relationship with the edges and how that defense works. Because in the Donatel defense, that's the way we want. Because it keeps mm-hmm. them around the line of scrimmage. They're not gaining a whole lot of yards. It's a basically a wasted play on the offense. You do that, you get one, two, or three of them, Boom, it's three and out. Vikings get the ball back. That's what I want to see that way. In pass defense, the dude, he's not afraid to get physical with receivers. And he's fast enough to keep up and glued to them in their routes. That is a good, good thing. I think we're going to have a problem in the preseason as to exactly who is going to start. And I think that's a great problem to have. I think so, too. And, you know, there's a saying, Dave, when talking about quarterbacks, that if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. That's not I don't the think case that really – that's not the case for every other position. Nope. In today's day and age in the NFL, you need to have corners. And if oh, you yeah. have corners, you can do things. And you can play multiple. You can play unique styles of coverages. You can be like, hey, you know what? We have a corner. Uh, basically, it's safety. Lewis Seen can come down and play in the slot. I was advocating for Daxton Hill at the end of the process because his ability to play corner, and he can play on the outside if you need him to. That versatility 
can make you incredibly multiple with how you play defense. Hey, I'm going to send a, a wide corner blitz because I know Daxton Hill can go and play on the outside as a corner. That, that gives you a ton of different wrinkles and nuances that you can utilize with your defense. Having a corner like Andrew Booth Jr. that can play the run and you can trust him to be a physical, willing tackler on the outside gives you some of that as well. You can uh, trust your linebackers to shoot gaps better and not play as conservative and spy because you know that there's going to be somebody else to help clean that up. Mm-hmm. Especially and, when we get into dime packages and mm-hmm. we got the two great edges and then it's you know the whole rotation of the interior, whether it's run blocking guys or pass pressure generators and stuff like that. And then you'll have two linebackers from Kendricks and uh, Hicks um, going sideline to sideline, stuffing any holes that come out that way. But you have blitz opportunities. I think I think Ed Donatel, we talked about Mike Zimmer being happy about this draft or would have been. I think Ed Donatel was uh, having some happy time after the draft because he's he's got to be looking at everything added and going, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Gets his assistants in there and go, hey, how do we figure out to do this? We want to do this. We want to do that. Put pressure on him this way. Can we put pressure? Fake pressure this way. Go that way. You know, stuff like that. Disguise coverages. The whole idea of Donatel defense and – Booth will play into it is, you know, they set up the same, right? They don't know. It all looks cover two for the quarterback until they snap of the ball, and then just things go. And they, then the quarterback hasn't a clue what's going on. That's what we want to see. This gives him that tool to do such. Yeah, it, he's got a lot of tools that are going to be able to help you. And let's kind of continue to move on because I, I want to give you the platform to really talk about Ed Ingram. <laughs> And uh, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts as well. Um, one thing that I really saw from uh, Andrew Booth Jr., st- he's sticky in coverage, and he does it in a few different facets. He's great in press. He's great in zone. He has really nice awareness. And he's got the fluidity. When he's beat, he can, he can make up ground and come back and take care of the ball. So there, there was a play where he kind of got spun around on a little corner route. And then he was able to shoot down and then get a pass breakup. Like those little things where he's just using his athleticism to make up for his lack of technique in certain plays. Corners get beat. It's the hardest position in football outside of quarterback. And you could argue that corner is harder to be great at than quarterback because of all the different things uh, that happen uh, with a corner. And there's so many, like there's pick plays. There's guys that just do ridiculous things. You got to watch not only their head, their feet, their torso. That's what I make sure you're not over. Watch the belly button. The belly button always gives them away which, where they're going on any sort of juke. There was one clip mm-hmm. I saw where the receivers lined up close, and then in front of him crossed, and he's got to decide who does he take, right? Does he take the guy going up the sideline or does he take the guy going on a post pattern uh, towards the middle? And he made the right choice and busted up the play. It's things like that when you get – because the offense is going to try to mess with your head. 
they do it, and if he sticks to the rules and how to play, he had the speed to cover that, make the correct decision, move, and go. And that, I think, I look forward to seeing it. I look forward to the competition at corner in camp. Camp start can't start quick enough for me. I want to see these guys in pads. I want to see them moving. Oh, I want to see these guys in pads too, Dave. And it it's it's really cool the fact that we finally have guys that can do a little bit of everything. And we have guys that we feel like we can trust as rookies. Because last year, five picks in the top 100, one of them played meaningful snaps. Christian Derisov. And that was the after we had the recovery and a second surgery. Yes. The four third rounders. None of them may be on the team at, at for the start of the 2022 season. That is not out of the realm of possibility, which would be one an indoctrination on Rick Spielman and his pettiness. Because we've heard uh, uh, sort of some rumors that, like, and I don't even know if they're rumors or they could just be speculation that Rick just kind of went AWOL. The Wyatt Davis pick was one that was reported that he just went AWOL compared to the rest of the building. And it wouldn't shock me if he just drafted guys just to stick it to Zimmer. Like Kellen Mond. But like, I can't see. And all the stuff we heard about Wyatt Davis and he was out of shape and he wasn't prepared and he was this and he was that last season. I can't see a two-time All-American at guard not being able, especially since we know he's been working at it this summer, not being able to at least make the squad as a backup and not push, if not push, for a starting job. He's got to get his head right. Hopefully last year was that wake-up call. And he gets his head right and he pushes for that job. When it comes to Kellen Mond, I have my doubts, right? Because when you get into that second, third tier of quarterbacks, there's a reason they fall that far. And it's basically the NFL doesn't expect them to succeed. And for most cases their chance of succeeding is just absolutely minuscule. There are Mm -hmm. the exceptions, yes. But for most cases, that curve of talent shows up there for a reason, and the majority of them don't. And he, I don't expect him. Wyatt Davis, I expect to see something of this year, and we'll find out. Surratt, special teamer. Um, But we also got, you know, we drafted one in the fourth round that's going to start special teams to start off with. And and we drafted Asamoa to basically replace Surratt. So, out of the three, I'd give, believe it or not, I'd give Wyatt Davis the biggest chance of sticking. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. And I think one, like, we we talked about it on the draft show, like, what uh, when Matthew Collar was on, Wyatt Davis has only taken a few snaps at center. But his best path to making the 55 might be to learn the position of center because it gives him some versatility, makes him more valuable. Sometimes in this business, you have to be more valuable in order to stick around to truly develop. Because when you're a backup offensive lineman, you have to be able to play more than one role. You can't be a left tackle. You can't be a right guard. You have to be a swing player. And that's just the way it is. Hey, and we all know that, you know, we hear stories of, well, this guy came in as a quarterback or as a, uh, a tackle. We needed him to move to tight end. Or he was 
a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now we need him to play safety, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then they make their career on that change. You've got to be able to do that. And when it comes to offensive linemen, because we only keep eight to 10 on the offensive side, you've got to be able to do a lot to stay in that group of active linemen. If you're not starting yeah. period, you've, you've got to be able to play. If you're an interior lineman, left guard, center, right guard. If you're tackles, you've got to be able to play both tackles and then maybe some guard. Or in the case of the one kid we drafted earlier, maybe a center. You know, so mm-hmm. the more valuable, the more pl- positions you can play, the more valuable and likely a team will keep you. And uh, that's what mm-hmm. we want. The people are talking about Chris Reed competing for center, and we talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doogie swears by it and says he's going to get the chance. I I have no idea. That's what I can't wait for camp. You know, and the, one of the fascinating parts here, uh, Dave, we have a lot of respect for both Chad Graff and Darren Doogie Wilson, mm-hmm. as far as one, their reporting, and two, their ability to get inside information out of TCO Performance Center. So the fact that they're both hearing different things is really fascinating because uh, Graf and Paul, Paul Allen, uh, obviously voice of the Vikings uh, on the radio side, uh, has his own show 90 Noon on KFAN, the number one talk, talk radio station in the country. They've all said that yeah. but Bradbury has <laughs> state media, yes. Um, Bradbury is going to be unopposed. But Doogie said that uh, Reed was told, and I, I believe I'm getting this right, that he was going to have an opportunity to compete for the starting center job. So which one is correct? We'll find out. But I, competition is good. Bring in competition. Competition is good. And then you take uh, Viking Jerome as Kinetting or play center. He he played some snaps down at the Senior Bowl. They tried him there. I don't know. You were there. Um, did you see him in any of those center snaps? I didn't. Um, I know that Zion Johnson worked a lot at center. I know Ingram did as well. I'll say this. The fact that they were working out at center means teams wanted to see if he had the ability to do it. Can he do it long-term? I don't know. I really don't. Uh, I'm going to hope that he can, because I think having that ability, having him play center could be a really fascinating idea. And we're going to kind of, transition to Ed Ingram in a second, but I want to finish off with one point with Andrew Booth Jr. One thing that really impressed me was his ball skills and his ability to find the football and attack it and be aggressive. He is able to stay so sticky in coverage that when it comes to finding the football, it's inherently easier because he's not playing catch up. He is right there. He's attacking the ball like a receiver. He's got his body turned. He's watching the football come in. The, all, all those little nuanced things that you want to see, he has the ability and he's flashed to do in multiple instances. Plus, he's got really good hands. He's got a Odell Beckham Jr. style highlight catch where he's just falling back and he one hands it, takes it in against Virginia. That Virginia game is one of the, be- the better games I saw of any prospect this year. Really, really fun tape. I like what he's able to do with, with the ball in the air. I like how he's able to mirror with receivers and stick with them. You, you combine that, that could be a guy that gets a lot of interceptions just because of right place, right time, and combining with his skills. He's not going to be Trevon Diggs' 11 interceptions good, but 
this is a guy that could get five or six on a year-in, year-out basis because of the skill set that he possesses. Hey, that's that's awesome. All right, Dave, it's time. Let's get a little drum roll. Ed Ingram! We're going to talk about a round belly. The Vikings drafted a guard in a high-priority spot at pick 59. Now, as you know, guards don't matter. This is okay spot to take a guard because you're not really using a true premium selection, which I view as the top 32. If you're taking them late round two, it's fine. Like, that's that's requisite value. Could you argue a different specific player at that spot? Absolutely. Could you argue that it was too early because he was viewed as the 101st player ranked on the consensus board? Of course. But we also have to remember something with the consensus board. Um, it's media and forecasters. It's people who do their own work, and they just rank every player based solely on talent. Not positional value. They don't have the medical knowledge. They don't have interviews with these players. Some, some get some interviews. Right. But they they don't have the ability to interview everybody in mass. Well, the consensus and, board combines the forecasters, the guys that are projecting a player to be mm-hmm. this, and then the ones that evaluate what they did in college, you know, on the physical ability. The, you mm-hmm. know, what sort of RAS score? What sort of scores did he put up in college? PFF is one for this. They look at, hey, is was he a good run blocker? Was he a good pass blocker? You know. And in all the positions, did he catch passes? Did he stop catching passes? What? And then they rake those, and Arif is the one that compiles it, and you get the range of where a player fits, right? If uh, everybody believed he went in the 20 range, that's a real close combination. Everybody's pretty much in agreement. But if one, you know, one end of the spectrum says, oh, we have him high as 20, and the other guy has – and the low end of the spectrum, nah, I have them at 92. You know, that's a big difference. And that's the way those two boards work, and it combines together, and they give an average, and they also give the difference ranges mm-hmm. for those that don't know. Yeah, it's it, it's a really nice tool, but it, it's also different from what NFL teams are doing, and I think that needs to be acknowledged because, mm-hmm. like, the, the one thing uh, – that I was about to say, right, is you uh, kind of went in depth on the consensus board. Is guys in the media aren't drafting for a specific team. They're not drafting for a scheme. They're not drafting for an offense or a defense. They are strictly compiling who they think the most talented players are on a board. You hear all the time after drafts, oh, this team only had 120 players on their board. Well, Dave, there were 1,750 players eligible for this draft. Why did they only have 120? because they only thought 120 were fit their criteria for what they wanted on their football team. And that's a big one. Like Teams are going to have different values, and we see guys taken early or late all the time because of those values. Like Just this year, like we saw um, Darian Kennard slip to the sixth round. Most people had him as a second or third round interior lineman that had the ability to kick out to tackle. But he didn't make it that. He <laughs> went way later. Well, like, your there are just so many nuances. Too. I don't want to talk about that. I've gone on enough about how the NFL screwed up with Malik Willis. I'm gonna, I'm just going to get in trouble. Um, but it's worth noting all these things because we're operating on different planes. 
I'm operating on, I think this guy's better than this guy and this guy and this guy. NFL teams would just be like, this guy is perfect for our system. And because he is a perfect scheme fit, he might get bumped up a little bit value-wise for the team because he is going to fit perfectly within the system. Like, Plus, teams also know more. They've talked to the players. They mm-hmm. know their psyche vows. They know more of their backgrounds than mm-hmm. all the draft pundits do, right? So mm-hmm. they can better make these players fit, and they may value somebody higher than what the consensus draft board has been because of that. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it. And Ed Ingram, just by the consensus board, was a reach by about 50 players. But we're not going to necessarily dive into that because we just kind of did. But we are going to dive into the player, Dave. And I know you were really excited to talk about him. So I want to hear your thoughts. When you watched Ed Ingram, what were some of the things that stood out to you? Okay. First off, I've got a picture of him in his stance. And I asked this to Darren on Saturday. Is he down there for a run play or a pass play? Uh, it looks it looks like his knuckles are down, right? Well, uh, his fingers are splayed. They're not like this. Oh. He's not in a gorilla stance. I, be- I would believe that that is a pass. All right. You just made a fa- fatal flaw that ha- happens a lot nowadays. Um, linemen should, and what I love about Ed, Ed Ingram, is that he's got very, very good technique. And they should never, never, ever show what the play is. All right? A defensive back or an edge or a defensive tackle who's lined up on him is going to be able to tell, is it a run or is it a pass? If the if the player goes into what's known as a, a gorilla stance where his knuckles are down and folded in, it's a run because he's not going to mm-hmm. – He's not going to back up, right? And then you've seen too many times where guys are getting ready in not obvious, obvious ones that are already up in the two-point stance and they're ready to go, but less obvious pass zones where they've rocked back, right? And they're sitting in their torsos at an angle. His torso here in this picture is the same that I saw on those three games of tapes I saw, watched, all the time. It is almost level with the ground. You want it that way. That is good technique. You can't tell. He is, and in the tape, he is very relaxed when he's sitting there. His right arm is sort of limp, just resting on his leg. It Mm. does not do anything to indicate. He doesn't flex his hand, right, to indicate the ball's about to snap, stuff mm-hmm. like that. He sit there very, very calmly. The only time he moved on those tapes when he was down in his stance is when the quarterback came up and changed the play. He'd turn his head to listen, whatever it was, right, to get the new stuff, and then he'd set back down and he'd be right there. Now, he might turn his head left and right to, to assess what's going on in front of him, and a lot of those teams – whether it be Alabama or it be Kentucky or UCLA, wanted to move people around, right, to confuse. You know, they'd sit here and then 
boom, 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 and they move over, you know, a couple spots. They'd switch. Mm-hmm. Or when the play started at this pass play, they tried to stunt. All right. What I loved about seeing Ed Ingram is Ed Ingram would come up in good position. He had his weight over the balls of his feet. He would constantly be looking left and right. If the guy in front of him engaged him, he would usually, in this case with his right hand, shock him. And by shocking, I mean he'd use the palm of his hand and he'd hit him as hard as he could in his chest, right? And he'd stun him. And usually the the defender would like, no. What he did there is he stunned him. And usually with his other hand, his left hand in this picture, he'd grab, right? And he'd grab inside, right? Or right around the shoulder. So it wasn't holding, but he'd grab. Once he locked on, the defender was beat. There was no way that defender was getting by him. He was owned, right? If he does that in the pros, that's going to help tremendously. And there was no pushing him back. Now, He might, on bigger guys, have pushed him and moved him, deflected him some, but there was no forklifting and just shoving him back in the quarterback. It was sweet. Now, in the run game, what he did was he would sit there. Oh, back to the pass game. If he did not have somebody engage him, they engaged the center or the tackle beside him, he had rules where he would go help, right? Dave, let me ask about that because one thing that I found very interesting is he had to look for something to do more often than just about any offensive lineman I've ever watched. It, there was there were times where there was nobody around, and he just had to be like, what do I do? And then mm-hmm. he would just go find somebody to go block. It was astounding to me how often that happened. Can you, As a former offensive lineman, can you try and elaborate a little bit on that as to why he never had anything to do. Well, it was it was how the defense was attacking the offensive line. They mm-hmm. thought it was better to avoid him, right? Or they thought the strength of the play was on the other side. So they're he- favoring that side. And then on his outside, on the weak side, the who's ever playing defensive end or edge is doing the setting the edge doing the contained thing on the outside. So he was sitting there a lot of times with literally nothing to do. I clipped this picture on one of those plays where the guard and the tackle have guys, right, and they've taken him out of the play, and he's standing there going, all right, where's my linebacker? Because a lot of times a linebacker would fill that or, you know, somebody, Zimmer did it a lot with, you know, the blitzing linebackers, a bar or Kendricks would come up and he's looking for somebody to pick up. If there's not, he was constantly doing this to see who needed help. And if he needed to help somebody, he would. If And then he, he had a good silent count in his head for the quarterback. You know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, now I'm going downfield. And he would do that. Um, but it was... To me, it was a sign of respect. They didn't want to do it. And it was both Tennessee, Kentucky, and Alabama pressured him the most, right? They gave him the most heck um, on the game film. 
But there was times they just didn't want to mess with him. Because if you mess with him, you took that player out of the game most of the time. I don't think I saw him got beat at all where he gave up a sack. So, mm-hmm. and stunts. Andrew, you are correct. One of the reasons why you're looking like this is a lot of times a stunt, if whoever's in front of him stunting around, say, the nose tackle, right, or not in front of him, is stunting in a different direction going outside, and the other side is stunning around the nose tackle, he's waiting for him to come up. So he's watching, looking, stuff like that. There's reasons why you don't do that. But yes, in the film, there was plenty of times when he was, you know, hey, I'm willing to help. Somebody take me. I want to plow you into the ground. And it just didn't happen because they wouldn't. And if now that that's not going to happen in the pros. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's playing the best of the best in the pros, and that's not going to he's, he's going to get his welcome to the NFL moment, and he's going to, you know, hopefully learn to deal with it. Um, when it came to running, he, w- he was good. He gets push. Um, he, like I said, he loves to latch on. If he latches on, he'll close you off, right, if the back comes around his backside. I have no problem with that. He's he's not as great at getting to the second level, but he always looks to get to the second level. Uh, I think there's a lot there. I think he can win the starting job at right guard. And there's a boatload of competition for that spot. And, I mean, we paid Jesse Davis starting, well, the money we paid him, you think he starts, right? Wyatt Davis, I think, has an opportunity. Um, uh, Reed, who's the best of the free agents, if he's not, you know, competing for center, is he going to play over there on guard? And, you know, and Oliudo, I thought, did an admirable job, except for his holding tendencies when he got beat. So it's going to be interesting. But I do think drafting him where he was, and what I saw on tape, he's he's better than what we've had at right guard. And that includes Ole Udo and uh, Josh Klein last year. It's mm. – now, whether he starts or not, that's going to be fun to see. I look forward to this competition because it's going to be tough. The depth on the offensive line this year is deeper than we've had it since in probably 10 years. Steve Hutchinson probably, right? Yeah, you're looking that far back where we had that sort of depth, quality players back to back to back. So, I mean, it's going to be when we when they start doing cuts on the O-line, it's going to get a little bit, are you cutting him? He's good, you know, and uh, I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be, it's my highlight of, you know, training camp, but – We'll see. I was impressed. I was impressed with his football. Does he have room to learn? Oh, absolutely. But he's strong. He's fast. He's looking for stuff. Mm, Other thing. On pass protection. One thing you don't see coming out of college nowadays. I talked about how his form is good and his weight's over his feet. Mm -hmm. Watch those Watch that film again. 
on any pass okay. play, you see his feet doing this constantly. He's ready, and his feet are doing this, right? They're constantly moving. What that does for an offensive lineman means that not only can he move laterally, it that he keeps his balance. So if a defender engages him and he's pumping his feet, he's not going to be over-leveraged like uh, happened to Bradbury last year. Bradbury engaged a guy like this. You saw literally the leverage battle, the engineering side, and the defender then pushed him over, mm-hmm. right? And you get to a tipping point, and Bradbury went over. Well, if you keep your feet pumping, right, during that, when you come up like this, yes, there's movement, and there's movement left and right, but you never get that over pressure, right? That over, we're tilting you over the um, – you know, center of balance that puts you on your back and puts you out of position. So you have to take an even bigger step to step back and try to recover Oliudum. Um different things like that. And nor do you fall on your back and then give up the sack and you know Kirk Cousins is lying there bleeding. So that's the things I saw that got me so excited about this young kid is that he does things well. He does things how you're supposed to, so you don't get beat. His form is fantastic, and we haven't seen that literally in years. We haven't seen it in years. Uh, Ed Ingram just he just feels like everything that we've wanted from a football player at the guard position, everything the fan base has been begging for for the past few years, somebody who's willing to finish guys somebody who's good in pass protection, strong hands, sand in the pants, all those things. And then we we already addressed the off-field stuff, but that's a big factor in this pick because with the off-field stuff, that 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 plays into the value. Um, mm-hmm. But we won't talk any more about that, but I just felt it had to at least be mentioned in the, in the realm of this conversation. One question I had for you, Dave, and we'll kind of wrap this show up, with Ed Ingram, I noticed that he was uh, he was one really good on stunts, but I noticed that he he played relatively upright um, in comparison to some other offensive linemen. He didn't have a lot of a lot of dip in his game, I, but I didn't necessarily see that as an issue. Did you notice any of that? And do you see that potentially becoming an issue, uh, being that he played a little more upright? No, and and in his case. Um, no, because he didn't get challenged down low and that his position when he's there, he's still bent over, um, when he's defending and he's coming back, but his weight is exactly where it needs to be. The ball of his feet leaning a little forward and he's ready to take any blow. And with the feet movement, he can, I don't see him getting stood up for playing high getting knocked over. Um, When run blocking, it's different, especially short distances, you know, lowest man winch, you want to stand somebody up. There's ways to stand them up, right? There's ways to get underneath. Um, One, obviously, is you go under, hit with the helmet slide, shoulder pad, and then you come up, right? 
way we used to do it back in the day is we'd come up and we'd forearm shiver and physically hit the guy in the chest and lift him up, right? What he does, because I don't see anybody doing forearm shivers because, honestly, people are too close. If you're doing a forearm shiver, a good defender's on you. He's got you locked. He can move you at that point um, Mm -hmm. in today's football. But what he does is if he's right there, I told you, he's got a deadly, call it a gun, in that right or left arm where he just goes, bam, right? And he hits you at this length. It's sort of like, you know, Karate Kid or whatever, and he's going six inches beyond the board. That guy is not getting beneath him to stand him up. He is now, it serves the same purpose as the forearm shiver. He's now up. And at that point, because he's in such good position and he's locking on with the other arm, he's got you beat. That's why I say I don't see that as a problem in how he plays. Not at all. Um, And he will throw guys to the ground, which is absolutely fantastic. He will bury him. He's got the mentality of a lineman, right? I'm going to abuse you. That's the way it should be. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said, the only flaw I saw is he wasn't – he'll come up and try to get to the second level. He's not as fast as I'd like to get to the second level. But if we're getting to the second level already on a run block, right, that means the running back's already two or three yards downfield. Right? I'm cool with that. Yeah. You know, let Cook earn his money then. So – no, I'm cool. I and I love the way he's got growth potential, and but he's building off such a solid foundation, more solid and more sound than I've seen guys coming out of uh, college ranks in a long time. And I've complained they need lineman schools. This kid has had some good training. He's doing things right. Yeah, a hundred percent. And Dave. I really enjoyed listening to you, to you talk about Ed Ingram because a lot of what you said just kind of resonated with me. Um, my biggest takeaway was the strong hands. So once once he locks into you, you're donezo. You're done. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, but, hey, th- this was a great episode. Um, Viking Jerome with, with a nice comment. Hard to find a, another Randall McDaniel. You're not going to find another Randall McDaniel. Just a special player who had the goofiest stance of all time with his, yes, his leg yeah. in <laughs> – looking like it's in Georgia when he's standing in Minnesota, but it worked, so who cares? Um, Dave, next week uh, we are going to talk about Brian Asamoah and a Caleb Evans, and I'm going to try and get to some more guys as we continue to break down these players um, and just getting really exciting, excited for Vikings football here, not only in minicamp, but training camp, and then to begin the season. Uh, rumored, I heard against the New York Giants on September the 11th at U.S. Bank Stadium. So we'll see how the schedule plays out, which is Thursday night. I have not heard that, but yes, Thursday night is the live NFL presentation. The uh, The only two games we're sure of right now is week four against the Saints at uh, Totten Hawkspur, or whatever that new stadium is over in London. And then today we found out that week two, we are looking at the second half of doubleheader on Monday Night Football, where we're Mm -hmm. at the Eagles. 
And this is a perfect throwback game because it's Monday night on ABC. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, not even ESPN. So I'm hoping since it's on ABC, ABC's being the throwback, that since this year they can go with the second helmet, they can go with throwback uniforms. I don't know if they will, but I'd love to see it. No, I agree completely. And it's going to be a really fun offseason. And uh, one thing that is also really fun is our good sponsors, Lake Monster Brewing. Make sure you pick up some beer from them. They are in liquor stores throughout the Twin Cities Metro. They do deliver. Um, I don't know how you can, you might be able to get that accomplished. They have the licensing for it. So um, try and contact them, and they will see if they can ship delicious beer. Because I know there are some of you in the comments have mentioned that you can't get it where you're at. Um, I'm lucky enough where I'm I'm less than an hour from the brewery. They have hooked a Dave up already with some delicious beer. And I've got three crawlers with my name on it in my mini fridge downstairs. Dave, this was a really fun show. We got to talk to players that are going to help our Minnesota Vikings early and often. And I'm looking forward to talking about two other players that look to be contributors uh, on our defense. Brian Asamoah and Caleb Evans and potentially more players from that that day three range here next week. Uh-huh. Yes, and it should be fun. Brian, you're right. We have to listen to our favorite broadcast crew. I miss the old days with the Gifford. I even miss, I'm old uh, enough to remember, Howard Cosell. But- I, I loved Frank Gifford. You know what was funny? I For like the first couple years I watched Monday Night Football, I, I was always so confused. Like, why doesn't Frank Gifford talk more? Because he always, intro- like, when the we went to the stadium, Frank Gifford always spoke first. So I'm like, I always thought he was the play-by-play guy, but then Al Michaels is the play-by-play guy. So my, like, five-year-old brain was just so confused by that. I didn't figure it out until I was older. Like, it was just so weird. Uh, but Frank Gifford, one of the absolute best. Oh, yes. And they had some great crews. So, hey, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm over Joe Buck, you know. Hey, you know, we can hate him, whatever. Uh, like Drewster always says, watch the game with the sound off. Do it that way. It doesn't matter. It should be fun. I, I can't wait. I enjoy Joe Buck, but then again, I just think he is greatness personified when it comes to broadcasting. If you don't prefer him, that's fine. That is your choice. I think he's great, and I love listening to him call games. And I am one of those people. I am over the Moss Mooney incident. <laughs> Look, with that... Give us the lineup for the shows this week, Dave, because I know there are some things that need to be addressed. Well, there are, but in the huddle on Tuesday night will not go on tomorrow because we have uh, people on the crew, Miles Gorman in particular, who's in the middle of a move. So there will be no in the huddle. Vikings happy hour on Wednesday. Matt Anderson is closing on a house. He's getting ready to move. So there will be no Vikings happy hour on Wednesday. Thursday for Viking hot takes with the great and wonderful Flip Mozzie and Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman. They'll be here. They're going to be discussing the schedule. And as Paul Allen always says, I don't see a loss anywhere on this schedule. Uh, we'll, they'll take a look at it 
and uh, see if they do in their same six-question, 20-minute format. And then Saturday, you get myself and Darren Campbell, the two old bloggers. We'll again look at that schedule, plus going deeper into the dive, into the third person of who's going to break out this year. And the third person for teaser is Tiny Dantzler. And at the beginning of the show, I asked, will he start? I think we have three starters at corner, not including nickel. And I think we have three starters at safety, not including dime. So it's going to be interesting. And I think we also have, you could probably say that at guard position too. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, and we're going to have a lot of fun throughout the offseason talking about our Minnesota Vikings. With that, from Dave, from myself, thank you for allowing us to turn your Monday purple, and Skull Vikings! Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.